you cannot serve God and wealth. The majority of today's gospel is taken up by one of Jesus's parables, a parable that is commonly called the parable of the dishonest manager. And to be frank with you, I find this parable extremely perplexing. Glad I'm not the only one. In the parable, we are told that a manager has squandered a rich man's property. And upon discovering this financial impropriety, the rich man fires the manager. Thinking quickly, the manager goes to the rich man's debtors and reduces their debt. In doing so, he ingratiates himself to these debtors, who we are told will surely return the favor in the future, providing the dishonest manager with an economic lifeline. For this, the manager is commended both by the rich man and by Jesus. Now, part of my confusion regarding this parable is a matter of simple comprehension. It's not clear what exactly the dishonest manager is doing when he reduces these debtors' bills. Some scholars speculate that the dishonest manager is eliminating money that's been added up on top, either his own commission or interest that has accrued over time. And if this is the case, then maybe there is something commendable about the dishonest manager is doing, taking a, a personal financial hit for long-term security or uh, forgiving a debt that is of an unreasonable or maybe even unlawful amount. The problem with this interpretation is that based on what we know about the ancient Near East, this level of additional cost seems unreasonably high. It seems dubious, especially for those jugs of olive oil, which, of what, which would have had a 100% markup. Another interpretation is that this dishonest manager is simply being dishonest, it's being crafty, that he is arbitrarily slashing the debtor's bills and in doing so is forcing the rich man's hand. Now that the accounts have been settled at a reduced rate, the rich man can't now go back to the debtors and demand the full amounts without creating an uproar or a public scandal. The problem with this interpretation is that the rich man, at the end of the parable, commends the manager for what he's done, which is also dubious. Why, after having been hoodwinked for a second time, would the rich man commend this manager? But most of all, this parable per perplexes me because it seems like Jesus is holding up this dishonest manager as some sort of example and that begs the question of whether or not Jesus might be endorsing underhanded behavior. Is Jesus telling us it's okay to lie or cheat or to commit financial mismanagement? I think not. But the parable begs these kinds of questions. There are many passages in the Bible 
that will confuse us at first glance, maybe even continue to confuse us after a second or a third glance. But one thing that I always consider when I am confounded by the Bible is context, both in a general sense, what book are we in, what are the overarching themes, but also in a much more narrow sense. What is happening directly on either side of the passage in question? Because one of the consistent rhetorical devices that the Bible employs is contrast. To put two or three interlocking passages next to each other and then to draw out larger teachings based on the way those passages complement or conflict. And as it turns out, when we consider the context of the parable of the dishonest manager, we see that it is the second of three interrelated parables that Jesus teaches, teaches nearly back to back to back, all part of a single discourse. Moreover, our parable today has phrases that are identical to phrases found in the other two parables. Again, another hint that we ought to be considering these parables as a unit. The first parable in the set is the well-known parable of the prodigal son. The second is today's, the dishonest manager. And the third is the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And the common thread that is woven through all three is the misuse of wealth. The misuse of wealth. In the prodigal son, the son takes his inheritance, moves to a foreign land, and quickly squanders it. And in our parable today, the dishonest manager likewise squanders the rich man's property. I'm hesitant to go into too much detail about the rich man and Lazarus because that's our gospel reading next week. <laughs> and I happen to know that Father Muitu will be preaching on it, so we'll leave that to him. But as a bit of a, a, a preview, things do not go well for the rich man. Returning then to today's gospel, we see how its concluding line serves not just as a conclusion to this parable, but in a way to all three. You cannot serve God and wealth. Wealth is not an end in itself. To the contrary, it is often an idolatrous influence, a fact that next Sunday's gospel will illustrate vividly. However, the, the parable of the prodigal son reassures us of God's mercy, that even when we are corrupted by wealth, God's arms are always open, ready to reconcile us. Ultimately, we are called to use our wealth wisely. And what I think Jesus is trying to illustrate in today's parable, albeit in dramatic and a somewhat cryptic fashion, is that at its best, wealth can be a means to a righteous end. What is commendable then about the dishonest manager is not that he cheated, it's that he stopped squandering wealth frivolously, as he had done at the start of the parable, and instead he used the wealth that he had access to 
in light of the future, so too, says Jesus, should we look upon what we have, either a little or a lot, and ensure that we are spending, we are investing, we are stewarding with an eye for the eternal. We cannot serve God in wealth, and we must always be aware of wealth's temptation and corruption, and yet, ideally, we can use our wealth for the glory of God. On Thursday morning, I attended our men's breakfast Bible study that the church hosts twice a month, and I was joined with other fine gentlemen, I see some of you here, in puzzling over today's passage. And there were a number of us who thought about this passage in light of the news this week that Ivan Schoenard, the founder of the outdoor company Patagonia, announced that he will be donating the entirety of his company, valued at $3 billion, to help combat climate change. This is a dramatic act, but in a sense, it's not necessarily surprising. It is in many ways on brand for Schoenard and for Patagonia as a company. Both, I should say, Schoenard has always described himself as a climber and an environmentalist first, and a businessman sort of by mistake. And Patagonia has for decades lived up to its reputation as a self-described activist company through steps like generous employee benefits and being certified a B corporation and having already donated 1% of its profits annually. A few of us at this Bible study remarked how what Schoenard and Patagonia have done just feels so much different than what other rich men, say, like a Gates or a Zuckerberg or a Bezos, have done. Yes, these other men have set up foundations, and yes, those foundations are doing good work in this world, but there is a sense that this was all an afterthought, that for these men, the, the goal was to be rich. The goal was to have this dominant, monopolistic company. The giving was just sort of an add-on at the end. Over the next few weeks, we at the Chapel of the Cross will be launching our annual stewardship campaign. And we will be asking all of you to think about how you can contribute your time and your talents and, yes, your treasure to this community, and we hope these contributions will also be to the glory of God. I think my invitation for all of us today, in light of today's gospel, is that we refrain of thinking about this stewardship as just writing a check as an afterthought. That during this season of our church year, we might also consider our much broader relationship with money that we think about whether the way we spend or invest or give is indeed aligned with, aligned with our values, whether or not these actions really reflect those promises that were made at our baptisms. And if upon reflection we find that our consumption is a bit conspicuous, that it more closely resembles the waste 
of a prodigal son or the squandering of a dishonest manager than, say, a more consistent Patagonian ethic, then like both of these parabolic characters, let us make a change. Let us repent and turn and return once more to those always open arms of God and let us recommit ourselves to better using what we have with an eye for the eternal, for you cannot serve God and wealth. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at The Chapel of the Cross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C, Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.